Wine Monk Arizona Wine Podcast by Cody Vladimir Burkett. Welcome to another episode of the Arizona Wine Monk. I am your host, Cody Vladimir Burkett, CSW. And Megan Kosha, visiting from Phoenix. She was kind enough to bring me a bottle of the 2012 Roero Arnaz. Dawned on me, oh, I have a, um, I can never remember the freaking vintage for this. <laughs> we both just looked at it, too. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, 2016 Arnaz and Friends from the Wilcox ABA from Chateau Tumbleweed. It's got Verdelo and what's the third? Verdejo. Verdelo. I know, but I right. like calling it Verdejo <laughs> and Viognier. That's right. So we're going to read the fact sheets first for all the technical jazz. Isn't it 82 and 9 and 9, right? Yes. <laughs> so the 82% Arnaeus was harvested on August 23rd from Dragoon Mountain Vineyard. Uh, the Verdelio, Verdejo, Verdelio, Verdejo, whatever you want to call it, uh, harvested on the 15th of August, also from Dragoon. The Viognier is the odd one out, 9%, at, um, from Deep Sky Vineyard on the 16th of August. Uh, on average, it was 23.0 bricks at harvest, whole cluster pressed, chilled and settled 48 hours prior to racking, and the addition of specially selected yeasts. Uh, it was fermented in one neutral French oak barrel at 65 degrees Fahrenheit for 12 days. Malactic fermentation was inhibited. Aged six months of neutral French oak and one month of stainless steel. Uh, like all the wines at Chateau Tumbleweed, uh, minimal cold stabilization, no heat stabilization, uh, filtered but not fined, uh, residual sugar less than 10%, uh, total acidity 5.9 grams per liter, pH is 3.45, 24 cases produced. I want you to keep that number in mind when Megan reads the text sheet for the, the Roero. How do you say Oh, I'm being silly. Roero. It's from Italy, so I'm... It sounds better than my <laughs> Roero. Your stem near our niche comes from Roero. Apparently I'm the yeah, Texas... Um, I have a bit of a Texas twang. Um, anyway, 24 cases produced is the important number. Of course, like all Chateau Tumbleweed wines, Joe Bouchard was the winemaker who was made here in the Verde Valley. Those of you who have seen Chateau Tumbleweed bottles know my love of their labels. And I love to call them reverse mullets uh, because it's party in the front. Uh, so you have the, the standard Arnaeus, sure. <laughs> the Arnaeus party girl, which has been on the label of all the Arnaeuses. But she's got friends. There's a praying mantis, a grasshopper, and uh, some kind Looks of like a beetle. beetle. <laughs> some kind of beetle. 13.3% uh, alcohol, by the way. Anyway, uh, Megan is going to read the Rero Arnaeus. Tech sheet. All right, so the Reiro Arneas is, it's 100% Arneas, and there were 48,000? Really? 48,000 48, bottles. 48,000 bottles, so let's do some math. That's 4,000 cases? Probably, let me do some, let me... Yeah, uh, no, it's really easy, that's 4,000 cases. I just want to so double anyway, check four, because... 4,000 versus 24? Yeah. Yeah. So, um... The soil, it was, uh, the grapes were grown in fine sand, uh, low percent of silt and clay, 
the exposure and altitude, various exposure, about 280 to 230 meters above sea level. I don't remember how to convert, do you? Meters uh, to feet? Keep reading and I will right. find out. Thank you. Um, manual harvest uh, at the beginning of September, but of course in Italy. Um, we don't, I don't recall, I don't know what region this is in. We will find out. Piedmont. Thank you. Uh, which is totally different than where tumbleweed is. So anyway, um, vertical trellis training system. And the pruning is guyot, G-U-Y-O-T. I think. Guyot, forgive me. Uh, I truthfully don't know what that means. It's a style of pruning, basically, and how it's attached, I think, to the trellis. All right. Uh, I, I can't remember, but... Wow, we have the fucking internet here, so let's... What the <laughs> fuck is Geo pruning? Pruning. Pruning sounds good, too. Pruning is what birds do. Uh... Da -da -da. Okay, so you have a basically double vine coming off of the base. Okay, so it looks And then like on a either tea. direction. It looks like a T. So, yeah, it looks like a lot of traditional, um, although there's two um, spurs, right? cordons, rather. There's two cordons, rather, than one that splits off in the middle. So you've got the trunk, comes out on two shoots up, or two canes up, technically, I think is the word. I could be wrong. I mean, well... <laughs> Let's look at this. Oh, yeah. No, that's not going to tell us anything because we can't read that one. No, it's too small. Womp womp. So go back to the... There it is. Arnaeus sheet. Oh, sorry. Nope. Other one. Da nope. Yep. Yes. There you go. There we go. <laughs> uh, so anyway, um, planting density, 4,800 to 5,000 plants per hectare. And the yield was 70... What's... Hectoliters per hectare. Hectoliters per hectare. Um... For vinification, 70% light pressing, fermentation in stainless steel at controlled temperature, protection from ho oxygen? That should, I think it's is oxygen, <laughs> but I think it's a typo. Yeah, I was going to say. That looks you can tell the Italians just oxygen. like, yeah, <laughs> and we're not even going to translate into English for a U.S. market okay, because so fuck you. Protection from oxygen, 30% maceration, fermenta fermentation in stainless steel vats. Uh, at least four months of aging in stainless steel vats. And they recommend the serving temperature of 10 to 12 degrees Celsius. Which is about Don't even degrees? ask. I don't even know. I can't. Uh, and I just <laughs> lost the uh, elevation here. Hold on while I... So 280 meters is 918 feet. So it's still much lower... Uh, an elevation than Wilcox, which is, you know, 4,300. It's only 918 feet? According to this. Wow. That's uh, a lot According lower. to the magic Google, which may be lying because Google. No, because Google is awesome. Um, except when it's not. It's <laughs> anyway, so the Royero Arnais is actually made by Matteo Correggia, who uh, I believe is... Hold on, I have... Thank you. Information on was, the producer. I was going to say, I think he, it's a family, I believe. Uh, and this is way too long to read, my lord. Uh, basically, Matteo inherited the family vineyard estate in 1985 at 23. 
So I continued farming excellent fruit, um, apparently, according to the marketing. Um, taken under the ring by some famous winemakers, Roberto Rosero and Ilio Atare. Um, and he basically, if I remember correctly, he was the one for more or less bringing Arneas back on uh, the map. Um, but they also are growing uh, Nebbiolo and Barbera on the same site. So Piedmont, standard Piedmont varietals by and large. And it's also 13.5% ABV. What what was Tumbleweed? Uh, I think also 13. 13-something. 13, 13, right? Oh, I think. Dead on. 13.3. I was okay. off by they're 0.3%. Almost, so they're almost exactly the same in that respect. Um, uh, haven't tasted them yet. I haven't even smelled either one of them yet. So yeah, this so will be the, interesting. That's what we're going to do. Right. So let's start with, with Tumbleweed. CTW. Mm. Uh, I'm getting peach, mm-hmm. peach acacia blossom, um, viognier. I can smell the viognier in the blend. Yeah, for sure. It's just like, oh, there's the viognier. Viognier in Arizona has its own distinct to me. Viognier, Arizona viognier, me personally gives me a teeny faint reminder of bananas. Yeah, I get that more and, in and Chardonnay, lot, And some people though. don't agree, but, you know, it's all subjective, right? True. Uh, almost like a marshmallow character, too. That might be a better descriptor than bananas. That's not the, the Viognier, though. I think that's everything coming together as a whole. Well, the Arnais today at the Tumbleweed Tasting Room was exquisite. Yeah. However, that was, was a good vintage. It was a, yeah, different vintage, and I believe it wasn't, it was 100%? Yes, and that one has been reviewed on the blog before. I'm also getting a, a vague sort, again, that, that vanilla character I think is coming from that neutral oak aging. Um, it'll be interesting to see if that's present. Uh, because this thing actually was aged longer before bottling than the Rorero. Yeah, this didn't it say the Rorero is only aged for six months? Four months before bottling, I guess. And all stainless steel. Back to, if you wouldn't mind going back to the, the tech sheet for the, um, no, about the winemaker. The page that had, there yes, we go. there you go. Aging six months in stainless steel on lees. Okay. I didn't see that it was on the lease, so that could contribute to. It does have that, that floral character I do associate with uh, Arnaeus. Oh, they smell totally different. Have you smelled the other I one? I have either? not. I have not tasted either, either. I couldn't resist. I already tasted the tumbleweed. It's amazing. I'm not getting really any aroma on the Italian. I know, right? It's almost neutral in the it's beginning. It's entirely neutral, almost. Entirely almost. Yeah. <laughs> you, you fucking heard me. There's like a faint fruit yeah, character no, it's that's really, like... Yeah, really, really faint. Um, I wonder if it's the glass, too. Because these are... No. Here. These are not the, the best... They're all the same glasses. 
Yeah, I know. Because I'm wondering if I should put this in maybe the Riesling Riddell glass. No, they smell the same, though, as each other. Yeah, that's good. But I meant a, a more open glass might. It, oh, for sure. Oh, you, yeah, it would probably enhance the aroma. However, it's a better... It's a better to compare, compare them in the same... Yeah, it's a better comparison for them to each wine to be into the same Now, um, we're using different glasses than what's in the picture for this podcast because I have only one uh, Chateau Tumbleweed logo glass. Um, we are drinking in stemless Page Springs and Passion Cellars glasses. <laughs> which are the same exact glass, basically, with only different logos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only thing I'm really getting on the Royero Arnais is sand. Like wet sand. Yeah, actually, that's a, that's a pretty good descriptor right there. I'm going to... I don't get any fruit or flor floral notes at all. The, uh, oh, wow, there's a zippy, zippy acidity on the tumbleweed. It makes me think of, like, a woodpecker probing a, a tree bark, and she's like, poke, poke, poke into the tongue. <laughs> yeah, definitely high acidity. Um, it's me it's medium-bodied. It's it's not as heavy as a Chardonnay, but it's definitely heavier than, like, a Mauvissier or a Sauve Blanc. Um, anyway, the fun thing about Arnais is that it's apparently a bitch to grow. Uh, in the Piedmontese dialect of... Italian, Arnaeus translates to little rascal. <laughs> um, at one point in time, also historically, uh, Arnaeus was harvested simultaneously with Nebbiolo and blended in uh, to kind of lighten the tannins for some younger vintages, okay. like Lange and, and also Rarero. Um, not so much in Barolo that I'm aware of, but I could be wrong. But then it kind of fell off by the wayside, and now it's kind of starting to be re rediscovered. Um, I remember studying it when I was studying for my second time taking my level one, and I had a a wine I study the session. First time I took mine. No, I passed the first time. Also, I just had to take it a second time because it expired. Oh. <laughs> I passed the first time both times. <laughs> it's just if I want to thank you. It's if I want to move on to level two, I had to retake level one. Ah. Juno. No, so. so she's doing the song track. I'm doing CSW track. The main difference, I would say half-jokingly between the two, is that uh, CSW is Somali status for people who hate people. <laughs> because it focuses more on the grapes, more on the regions, more on styles of production, less on service. That's true. Um... And my logic is that a CSW is harder, so that would be for the for the ten people that understand that you know a CSW is harder. It's like, oh, he knows his shit. Yeah, it is. I totally uh, admit it's harder. But uh, the average person that comes into the tasting room doesn't know or or assumes or that you're a sommelier. Yeah. Well, yes, and some of my friends have so graciously referred to me as being a sommelier, and I I say thank you, but it's like. If I were to call one of the line cooks a chef, that's not fair. Because chefs work super hard to get to where they are. And 
you know, it's it's also like calling. The, I mean, no disrespect, but it's also like calling, um, referring to someone as a doctor who is a nurse. My mother's a nurse, so no disrespect, as I am saying. But there are certain people work for a certain amount of years and and study for so long to get titles, and um, it's not just a title. It really, you really are working for it. So if someone ever calls me a sommelier, I say, well, thank you so much, but I'm not. I'm not certified. I am certificated, which is a real word, by the way. You wouldn't think. But I'm level one, and I, I level one times two. <laughs> <laughs> um, still doesn't make me a level two certified, but, um, but I have some friends who have gone to level two, and I have a friend whom became a master and he's one of the youngest masters in the world I think oh wow so it's a lot it's a lot it's a lot of studying it's a lot of time commitment and it might sound glamorous where oh yes you drink wine and get to study all this fun stuff it's a lot of work it is and it costs a lot of money because if you want to taste all this wine, where do you think it's going to come from? Your I mean, wallet! Yeah, I've been working in restaurants for 20 years, so I've had the privilege of tasting wine uh, mostly through that. But some people don't work in restaurants, and they pretty much have to buy all the wines themselves. And it's, you know, if you added it all up, it very well could be, you know almost as expensive as going to like a nice law school or something so people don't look at it that way but ooh, i like this book so i just pulled out the big what giant red wine book? book this is wine grapes edited by jensen's robinson uh julia harding and jose Vulamos. may i take a photo of the cover please sure I thought we should look up Arnais in the big giant red wine book. Uh, from Rorero in Piemonte, northwest Italy, Arnais is possibly first mentioned in 1432 in Chieri, in the province of Torino, in the Latin name Oranaisi. Wait, how do I. It's Chieri. That's Chieri. Okay, in Chieri. C, C H is like a K in Italian. Uh, uh, so, in, in, okay. <laughs> so, in Latin, it would probably be Ranaisi? If I remember my Latin, I'm not. I, yeah, uh, specifically, um, anyway, which could derive from the toponym Bricrienzio near Canale, already known in 1478 as Renacium. On the other hand, the place may have taken the, its name from the presence of Arnaeus in the vineyards, uh, Cumba and Delver in 1990. Anyway, during the 17th and 18th centuries, the contraction of Renzi supposedly produced Arnaeus. Alternatively, in the local dialect Arnaeus, used to describe a wily and temperamental person, could have given its name to the grape, reflecting how different, difficult it is to grow and vinify. Um, but anyway, the earliest written the earliest written mention of Arnaeus under that name is in Tirovinsada in 1877. Uh, synonyms: uh, Nebbiolo Bonaco, Bianchello, Blanchetta di Alba, not related to Nebbiolo at all. Um, it's vigorous, but tolerant and tolerant of downy mildew, but subdep. <sighs> <laughs> Do you want me to read? 
I'm good at it. Sure, you you read. <laughs> so where did where did you leave off? Uh, just start with viticultural characteristics. All right, so vigorous, tolerant of downy mildew, but susceptible to powdery mildew, ripens in the second half of September, which is when we saw the ruero was harvested. Yes. Whereas the tumbleweed was August, but that's because Arizona Arizona is so much warmer. Uh, so where it's grown, it's uh, mainly cultivated in the Ruero and Longa areas. So Ruero is the region. Uh, it's not the name of the varietal. It's not the name of the producer. Blah, blah, blah. It's a DOC, if I remember correctly. Or maybe it is a DOC. I don't know. You may, you definitely know. The bottle is over there and I. Yeah, no, it's too far away. (laughs) Yeah, it's too far away. I'm too comfortable. Um, Areas of Piemonte and northwest Italy, but also in small amounts in Liguria and on Sardinia. According to local tradition, Arnais used to be planted together with Nebbiolo to attract birds with its strong flavor, thus protecting the Nebbiolo which had and still has a better market value, that's for sure. It was also used to soften Nebbiolo, which may explain the synonym Nebbiolo Bianco. Arnais virtually disappeared in the early 1970s when only Vietti and Bruno Giacosa were bottling it. However, it was saved from extinction by a welcome revival of white Piemonte wines in the 1980s. The wines are generally unoaked, subtly fruit-scented, full-bodied, and tasting of ripe pears, but can lack acidity, especially when later picked. Best drunk young. Oh, that might be our problem. Why? Because yours is a 2012. Yeah. And yeah, so it may have old, may it? have passed its prime. Yeah, it probably has. But we haven't tasted it either. The Italian census of 2000 recorded 745 hectares, 1840 40 acres. Now that's interesting because that's more acreage in all, than in all of Arizona, and it's all devoted to one grape, which again, you know, it, it puts Arizona wine into that perspective of, we are a drop in a bucket. We are a very tasty drop yes. in a very, very big bucket. <laughs> Indeed. All right, so the Italian census of 2000 recorded 745 hectares, uh, 1,840 acres, and the best producers in Piemonte are Malvira, Del Teto, Cascina Chico, no, excuse me, I just, uh, Cascina Chico, Chico, oh, and Bruno Giacosa. Beyond Europe, it is provoking growing interest in Australia, particularly in Victoria, where it has been planted by producers such as Yandoit Hill, Crismont, Pizzini, Dalzotto, Gary Crittenden, Yara Locke, Locke, maybe? Like Locke. It could be either. Uh, and Rutherglen Estates. Other producers include um, Tartini in the Southern Highlands, NSW. New, New South Wales. Yes, thank you. Cooper's Creek in uh, Gisborne. Yep. New Zealand. Have presu- produced a fresh, off dry version of this wine with fine, pure floral and citrus flavors. There are minor plantings in the U.S., notably by Segacio in Sonoma County, California, and Ponzi in the Willamette Valley, Oregon. And, of course, and Arizona. Dragoon Mountain Vineyard in Wilcox, Arizona. I am getting some of that pear character on the, on the tumbleweed. Mm. Definitely super pearing on the palate. Little hints of sort of that uh, Viognier marshmallowy 
character. Um, a little bit of mango, maybe, from the Rodeo. Relatively short finish. What are you getting? It's always really hard for me to pinpoint stuff. Honestly, I hate that. But I know I really like the mouthfeel. It's a lot smoother and softer than, say, a Sauvignon Blanc or Pinot Grigio or anything that tend to be really thin. But it's not, you know, coating your mouth like a Chardonnay or anything. I mean, like that, that acidity is definitely giving it some lasting gripping power. Mm hmm. Um,. Uh, for that mouthfeel, which is nice. As the Rorero is warming up, it's just still... There's some fruit now. A little bit. Like pear, Not maybe. Much, though. But it's still very weak. I'm agitating it in the glass now, and it's got more mineral. No, you said stone in the... No, you said sand in the beginning. Yeah, it made me think of, like, wet sand. Yeah, I mean, it's smelling minerally to me. Yeah, that minerality is definitely the most prominent character of this nose. The palate still has that sharp acidity, though. But it's more like apple and pear with a little bit of lemon citrus zest. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, sort of like a... lemon oil, not pith, because pith would be more bitter. Yeah, it's got like that slightly sweeter, richer, rounder quality of the lemon peel. I mean, it's not. Ah, oh, excuse me, my leg. It's not bad. It's it's. It's all right. Yeah. It's... I definitely prefer the Chateau Tumbleweed, like a hundred thousand times more. Are However, those exact numbers? Yeah, hundred thousand and three. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Um, but to be fair to each wine, they were grown in completely different regions and different years, so. Yeah, this is definitely different weather. I imagine if this was daylight, we could see that this is probably a much darker shade. Oh, of really? Yellow. See, I disagree. I would imagine. Mm -mm. I can already tell when your computer light was showing, the tumbleweed is much darker than the royal. Really? That mm -hmm. that would surprise me. I can tell even just right here. Okay, I was just guessing because I didn't see yeah. the color at the time. Oh, I did. Because oh. dark. So I guess I'm cheating. You're not cheating, you're thinking more ahead than I am, and I'm supposed to know more than you. <laughs> you do know more than I do. <laughs> That's debatable. Not supposed to, you do. That's debatable. Um, because I still don't know why kids love the taste of Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Ooh, it's so good, though. The wine or the Cinnamon Toast Crunch? Both. This is true. I would Golden not... Gr Golden Grams are better, though. Agreed. Oh, my lord. Golden Grams, you can just given a choice a between those two cereals, I would probably pair this with Golden Grams more. Golden Grams are so good. 
<laughs> but I feel like um, I feel like the Royaro Arneas would be better with bracing seafood like ceviche, mm. whitefish, maybe like shrimp cocktail. Mm-hmm. I think the um, Chateau Tumbleweed one would would work better with bigger fare. It would work better with fattier fish like salmon or Chilean sea bass. But I'm also thinking some chicken dishes maybe for the Chateau mm. Tumbleweed. Is it chicken piccata that has the lemon and caper sauce? Because that um, maybe? is so delicious. I think it is. Yeah, it's it's also got a short finish too. So that's character. Mm -hmm. I remember the bottle that I reviewed from uh, the next vintage up from this. Well, it also had a short finish. That seems to be, I think, a pretty standard character for Arnaeus. Yeah, this Italian one is just super stony. Yeah, it's kind of like licking a, a rock. Mm -hmm. Like licking a, a piece of river-worn limestone. In a good way. <laughs> well, of course it's in a good way. I was a geology minor, so I licked a lot of rocks in undergrad. I was fine until I licked the pitch blend. Twitch, twitch, twitch. That's a The real... what? So, obscure geologic joke. Pitch blend is uranium ore. Okay. So I was joking about getting radiation poison uh -huh. from licking a, a pitch blend. Okay. Or rock, which I did not, for the record. Although, <laughs> despite that, it would explain a lot. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Well, is there anything you want to say more about these guys? Again, I it has nothing to do with the fact that it's from Arizona, but I really, truly prefer the tumbleweed. Um, I guess I'm learning about myself that I... As much as I want to say that I dislike sweet and fruity whites, I can tell between these two, like, the tumbleweed is obviously... The fruitier and probably has more RS than well yeah we definitely know Italian. because we know it's less than 0. 0.110% so, um, it's listed on the bottle yeah, Joe Bouchard I mean, made us know that nothing listed on that there uh, on the fact sheet for the Roero I have to say my opinion would depend markedly on the weather if we were doing this oh, podcast sure. if we were doing this podcast at um, say 4 p.m. Uh, instead of now at uh, what 10:30? Uh, I think it's later than that. 10:42. I was only off by 12 minutes. Wow! Look at, look you. at me. I'm impressive. Uh, <laughs> the, the point is, if we were doing this podcast at 4:30 this afternoon, sort of the end of the heat of the day, I would prefer the Rodero by a um, long okay. shot. Yes. Because when it gets hot, I want. A crisp, acidic white that goes down like water. That makes me salivate. That makes me mm -hmm. also want to reach for that glass of ice water to keep me hydrated. Uh, and this, Good I think, point. is also lighter bodied than Good the. Point. Oh, it's much lighter. Yeah, it's much lighter bodied too than the tumbleweed. Uh, now sitting here at ten forty-two. That's a PM, really, really good point. I I didn't even think of that. Thank you, Megan. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> 
(laughs) (laughs) No, I I didn't really think of it that way. I agree now. But right now, uh, tonight, I, I, at this time, at this place, uh, with a full belly from Merkin, Mm -hmm. uh, and a semi-pounding headache that I can't seem to get rid of no matter what I do, um... I prefer the, uh, you're right, I, I do prefer the Chateau Tumbleweed right now. Now, it's interesting, I, I wonder, you know, the, the soil in Wilcox is a lot dustier, I, I expect, than, than Roero, but having not been on the ground, I don't know how the soils exactly differ. Um, but I feel like this Roero has a marked influence from some sort of limestone. Or Didn't dolomite. It say it, actually, will you look again? Because it Maybe said it did, say. it did. It mentioned it. So there you go. Sandy, Sandy with, with silt, silt and, cal- and calcareous clay. Mm-hmm. Uh, sandy marine soils as well. So. Yeah. So you remember you said sand when yeah. you first smelled it. Yeah. There you go. So yeah. This. But then, what is? Do we know what the actual earth, earth, dirt? Is like at um, Dragoon. Uh-huh. I have been there, uh, not with like soil testing equipment, but it's a lot more alluvial. Um, Remind me what that means, please. Gravelly, basically. Okay. Um, made from erosional stuff coming down off the mountains, basically. Okay. So you've got lots of pieces of tiny, you know, tiny pieces of the mountains that are there yeah. in, the, mm-hmm. in the center of the valley. Um, and for those who don't know, where is Dragoon? Uh, near Wilcox, or in the Wilcox AVA. Okay, so southeast Arizona. Yeah. So I remember there being... Southeast of Tucson, for those of you who aren't familiar with Arizona. And then the elevation there is pretty high. Yeah, the elevation there is 4,300. But I remember there being a lot of... Uh, Isn't that what we're at right now? Just about. Like, almost exactly. I remember driving up here and seeing the signs. and Like, on this couch, we're almost right at 4,300. Right? Something like that. Yeah. Maybe higher. I think it's more like 48. But well, yeah. It's not all gravel. There's a lot of sand and maybe some silt. Um, it's not from the Wilcox Bench, which is the ancient lakeside uh, location. That's a little bit further down from the mention elevation if I remember correctly. I could be wrong. <laughs> um, so it's not so much lake deposits because there are some lake deposits and, and lake silts uh, along with the gravel and, and some of the vineyards like Beol, for example has that because it's right on the ancient shoreline. Um, <sighs> reddish soil. It's more red in color uh, not like That's Sedona right. red. I was going. I was just going to ask. Okay. Not Sedona red, but it's definitely a reddish, a more reddish tint mm-hmm. than the Wilcox Bench. Okay. Um, which to Dragoon, me, I think, yeah. Okay. Which I think is indicative of more granite in the percentage that is uh, decomposed and eroded hmm. into that. But I could be wrong on that. I would not know at all. So. I would take your word for it, no matter what you said. <laughs> because you are intelligent and all-knowing. Well, I'm some-knowing. 
sometimes my sometimers kicks in. <laughs> but on that note, this has been a podcast of the Arizona Wine Monk. Uh, thank you for bringing this bottle up and crashing around here while you're enjoying Tilted Earth. Thank you Cheers. so much for having me. Cheers. We're going to try and get some more pictures, maybe get some Star Trail shots. We will see. I am still really shocked and disappointed. I have not seen one shooting star. Not last night or tonight. It's early yet. Last night it wasn't early. Last I was laying out here on your deck last night on flat on my back, looking at the stars for a good 30 minutes. Just looking at the stars, and there was no movement, nothing. I was really surprised. I'm like, huh. I thought for sure I would see a bunch of them. But, you know, I'm not an astronomer. I don't know what time of year certain meteor showers happen and all that good stuff. I don't know when the next one is. But still, I feel like shooting stars aren't necessarily, they don't follow those rules, you know. They just happen when they want to happen, and I just can't believe I haven't seen a single one. But the sky is still so much darker and full of so many more stars than down in Phoenix, where Despite I live. Despite a so semi-full moon, or almost full moon, it's three quarters yes, full. Yes, it is still waxing. So there's a lot of ambient light. You're right, there is. But on that note, let's go photography. All right, sounds good. Cheers, everybody. Have a good night or day whenever you're listening to this.